Welcome back to Money Minutes for Doctors. I am your host, Christina McAteer, and once again, welcome the lovely Miss Catherine. How are you today, Catherine? Never better. I'm in sunny Arizona today, and I'm really enjoying it. I'm happy to have you here today, and of course, this is the Money Minutes for Doctors, the financial podcast on behalf of the Brown Emergency Medicine and the Brown Emergency Medicine blog, with the goal of giving financial information to promote financial wellness throughout our physician community. So Catherine today is going to help us understand what is inflation. We've all been hearing a lot about it with the recession as part of the COVID pandemic and all of the expenses and bailout packages that have been promoted by our federal government. So at the end of the day, I guess there is some concern that inflation may take hold. So Catherine's here to help us understand exactly what that is and how it will impact us. Help us out, Catherine. Well, I'm really glad you brought this topic up because I must have had two doctors in one week ask me about this and they were quite concerned about it. So I'm figuring it's a very, very hot topic in the news. And it's something that I do want to talk about today, but the long and the short of it is, this is one of those things we can't do a darn thing about. And I don't think we need to be worried about it, but we will be talking about some tips on how people can manage inflation. Perfect. Well, I certainly don't want to do anything that makes doctors more nervous because I think we have a lot of stress in our lives. So just to keep things basic so that we're all on the same page, just simply help us understand what is inflation and and what is it unique about our market that allows inflation to possibly even take hold here? Well, first of all, inflation. It's when the price of goods and services increases steadily over time. It doesn't mean you're getting any more. It just means they're costing more. And that means consumers can buy fewer services and goods with every dollar that they've saved. So it's really eroding your purchasing power. And inflation is a really, really important part of investing. You just have to be subject to the consequence. It, well, exactly. But once again, this is an area where you can be prepared. And we're going to talk a little bit in a minute about how you can make inflation work for you. Uh, but I think when it comes to saving, we have to think that really, that why are we saving? That we're saving today to support future spending. So we have to take inflation into consideration on what things are going to cost in the future. So it's very important that our investment philosophy and our strategies then keep pace with inflation and actually get a return that's beyond inflation. And is some degree of inflation inevitable? Is that just as the markets mature that all goods and services are going to be costing more? Well, I wouldn't say all goods and services are going to cost more. keep thinking my mother had this fabulous coat with a beaver collar back in the days when she was actually becoming a certified nurse anesthetist. And I thought she paid $300 for that coat back in the 40s. And I was thinking recently to replace that coat, it would probably be about $300. So not everything goes up, but most things do. We're usually in a state of inflation, but not always. Sometimes we actually have decreasing prices. Now, to your question about what causes this, a lot of people have different beliefs. And particularly, I believe it has to do with our government's approach to money. Now, why are people so concerned now? The current financial approach that uh, we're taking is very, very close to the financial approach the administration took in the late 1970s and the early 1980s. 
And Christie inflation was so horrible then that when I purchased a home back in those days, my interest rate on my mortgage was actually 12%. I remember my parents talking about interest rates of 10 to 12%, and I have never heard of such things in my adult life. Thankfully so. Exactly. Well, because it's really horrifying because if you remember our rule of 72, which we've talked about in previous episodes, if we take that interest rate of 12 and we divide it into 72, you see the number of years it takes your money to double or how long it takes that cost of that house to double. And it's, it's really horrifying. Now there's a flip side to this though. At the same time that uh, my mortgage was costing me 12%, I could actually get a money market almost no risk in a money market account at 12%. So that was the flip side of this coin. So I guess what you're telling me, as you had mentioned earlier, if you properly invest, you can offset the consequence of inflation. Exactly. And we'll be talking in a minute about how to do that. But I want to give you a couple of examples of how bad inflation has been over, over time. So if you go back to 1916, you could nine cents would actually buy you a whole quart of milk in 1916. But 50 years later, nine cents only buys you a small glass of milk. And 100 years later, nine cents only buys you about seven tablespoons of milk. Not much to take home and feed the family with. No, not. And I'll give you a couple of other examples. Some of them are pretty horrifying. Uh, let's take a first class stamp, right, to mail a letter in the United States. 1950, you could do that for three cents. By 1980, it was up to 15 cents, 2033, and this year it's going to take you 55 cents to mail that first class letter. Yes, and I would dare guess that the price of a postage stamp is only going to increase with the recent reports of the United States Postal Service under significant duress, so stay tuned for that one. Exactly. What other examples do you have for us, Catherine? Well, the gallon of milk. So 1950, 83 cents, 2021, $3.47 for the same gallon of milk. And how about gasoline? 1950, that was only 18 cents a gallon. By 1980, it was up to $1.19. 20 years later, you could buy a gallon for $1.52. And this year, yep, a gallon of gas is $2.58. So admittedly, these numbers are obviously shocking, and I would say cause everybody to take a pause. Tell me, do wages keep pace with inflation such that consumers are still able to have relatively the same amount of purchasing power? Or is that not necessarily a given? Well, in general, I would say wages do keep up with inflation. I would say in general, but we run into time periods where those increases in wages don't quite keep up with inflation. So one of the most horrible things that happened uh, was my father-in-law, who's actually uh, from Greece. He decided to retire in Greece and living on Social Security. So Social Security does not always keep up with inflation. So you may have a year that inflation is 3 or 4%, and your Social Security may only raise like 1% or 2%. So he was living in an environment in Greece that had hyperinflation. The cost of living in Greece was absolutely horrendous. It was going up incredibly high. But his income was pretty fixed on Social Security, and that's a horrible, horrible place to be in because obviously his income was not enough to meet the demands of a very simple life in Greece because the cost of living had gone up so much. 
that does not sound to be like a desirable situation. And one of the things I know we've mentioned in prior podcasts and always gives me pause that when you retire, you're probably looking at several decades of the lifespan. So how do you prepare to combat inflation and and so many other variables that we will face when we're no longer earning an income and have a more fixed scheduled income? Right. Well, I think we can definitely plan for this. We know it's going to happen. So how? basically, I think, how can we protect ourselves? So let me give you a couple of tips on what we can do. So number one is investing in stocks and in real estate. I'm going to talk about stocks primarily. And the, the reason is stocks in general tend to outperform inflation. So over the long haul, stocks have always outperformed inflation, although not always in smaller time periods. There have been short stretches of time where stocks have not performed. So let me tell you about a couple of those. So if we look at the 17-year period from 1996 to 1982, the S&P 500 index, which we all know is the 500 largest U.S. companies, was 6.8%, but that was before inflation. But after inflation, it was actually zero. So in a good sense, if you had been invested in the S&P 500, your investments would have kept up with inflation. You wouldn't have gotten a return beyond inflation, but they at least would have kept up with inflation. If we look at the period from 2000 to 2009, we call this the lost decade in investments because the return on the S&P actually dropped. It was 0.9%. In other words, we lost almost a full percent in the S&P over a decade. But the inflation after, if you consider inflation in that equation, your money would have been down a negative 3.4%. So it sounds like if your investments keep pace with inflation, you're not necessarily hurt you're not benefiting, but at least your money will allow you the same earning potential and lifestyle. Of course, if it drops below inflation, that's when you're really going to start to feel uncomfortable. Exactly. Uh, That is one of the reasons that a lot of pundits in our industry think that retirees are best off with a portfolio that's 60% stocks and 40% bonds, because you need that stock portion in a portfolio to keep up with inflation during retirement. And this is opposed to how they thought about uh, planning for retirement, maybe in the 50s or 60s, where they thought by the time you get in retirement, you should have most of your portfolio in bonds. And that's not the thought nowadays. Interesting. And as we have pointed out in the past, too, that the U.S. stock market has been relatively stable now and, and offering, on average, good returns to care with your money in the U.S. stock market. Is that your feeling? Well, absolutely. Now, granted, I don't think our clients should have all of their money in the U.S. stock market. I do believe in globally investing, and I don't believe having all of it in stocks. We want some in in bonds because it helps mitigate the risk. And sometimes those bonds actually outperform stocks in negative markets. So that's another reason that you would want bonds in your portfolio. Uh, But I wanted to discuss one other time period here. So if you had thought about investing $1 in the S&P index in 1926, after accounting for inflation, it would have grown to more than $500 by the end of 2017. So over the long run, it significantly outpaces inflation. That is the long run. That's almost 100 years. Well, true, but we have to think about that for retirement. Most of our clients are going to be retired 30 years, sometimes even longer. So they take the long view, they're going to be ahead. 
Perfect. And that's what we need you for. Because again, given that the American lifestyle, the longevity has almost uniformly been increasing until of recent, but certainly we're seeing many in their 80s, 90s and beyond. So planning for the long term is a must. Huge. And we've talked about this before, about how longevity just keeps increasing, increasing. And uh, a year or so ago, I was in Boston and the big, um, there was a big billboard there that said, is your financial advisor planning for you to live to 105? And I was like, whoa, because we typically, as you know, kill our clients off on paper at 95, which I thought that was being fairly conservative. But we have numerous clients who've got relatives who are way over 100. And that tells me they've got longevity in their, in their family. So they do need to be planning for a very long retirement. And that means they've got to take inflation into consideration. Excellent. And talk to us a little bit about in retirement. I see here you have a slide that, you know, your your costs are just much, much different. You're really not tasking yourself to save at that point. You're relying on the investments that you have, whether it be in stocks or bonds, as we've just been discussing, um, but also that you normally don't have the same amount of debts. Can you help us understand exactly how those changes in your everyday living expense can help your retirement savings last longer? Right. So when we have clients that are getting close to retirement, I actually do like a current budget, where are they at today? And then let's look at where they're going to be at in, in retirement. Because you're right, a lot of expenses fall off. Maybe they've got their house paid for. They're not saving anymore, so we, can, we don't have to account for that. So the rough rule of thumb um, in the industry has found that if you take your gross income pre-retirement, your living expenses in retirement are roughly 50% of that. So let's say we've got an emergency med doc making 300000 now. We would plan on them needing 150000 in retirement after taxes. Apply our inflation factor that, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, to see what are they going to need over the long haul. And it comes up with a really important number, Christy. It comes up with a number that is how much money do they need? What is their the rock that they need in investments on the day that they retire to have a really good sense of comfort that they're not going to run out of money in retirement. Excellent. And that's what your sophisticated software helps our colleagues and and your clients to understand so that we can be sure to get that number right. Right, exactly. But I can give you a quick example if you'd like. So let's say your pre-retirement income was 500,000. That means you need to about 250,000 a day living expenses. Once again, we do account for taxes and other things, but to keep this simple, Let's just say we just need 250000 in today. If you are 30 today and in 20 years you're going to be 50, you won't need 250000 to buy that same lifestyle. You're going to need 517000 And this is assuming an inflation rate I'm going to talk about in just a minute of about 3.7%. But if you're 30 today and you're thinking about retiring in 40 years when you're 70, take a deep breath, Christy. This is going to be shocking. Okay, we're in a Zen-like state. You won't, for $250,000 lifestyle today, you actually need over a million dollars a year for income in 40 years, or $1,069,277 to be more precise. That seems like an awful lot to save. And, and you're saying that's what you would need to have saved for every year after retiring at, at 40? Let's just say you were 30 today. And you wanted to retire 40 years, your first year, you would need over a million dollars just to cover the expenses from that first year. 
So you would need that money saved for each year of life after you retire. Right. And assuming the cost is going to be going up. So let's talk a little bit, though, about how we can mitigate that. So the consumer price index is over 50% of that is actually housing. So that was going to be one of my tools, because if you can have your house paid off in retirement, that is going to reduce your own particular cost of living or your own individual inflation rate a lot. Maybe not completely by 50%, because we still have costs of a house that's even if it's paid for, right? We've got repairs, we've got taxes, but it does reduce your own individual cost of living or your own individual inflation rate a lot to have that house paid off in in retirement. So that's one thought. Excellent. So it sounds like that really should be a a ground goal for every retiree to not have a mortgage going into retirement. I would say for most of our clients, it's really very, very important. Perfect. We can work on that one. Sounds doable. What's next? So we were talking about some, some ways to make inflation work for you or some tools. So we talked about using the stock market. But residential real estate, as we alluded to just a minute ago, also has kept up with inflation or maybe slightly above inflation. So I do hear occasionally with um, doctors that want to take advantage of, um, they're worried that inflation is going to price them out of the housing market. And they're like, they need to get a house now. They need to buy a house now. Well, I don't think that's usually a good idea for most residents and fellows, because what if the market goes the other way? which being in Rhode Island, you remember how horrible the, the housing market was 10 years ago eight, and eight, eight, even eight years ago. It was just absolutely horrible with uh, doctors having these houses where the value of the house had actually gone down, which gets to our deflation scenario that we talked about earlier. And so they couldn't sell the house for what their mortgage was on it. They were upside down. So that's a horrible, horrible situation. So I think you can make real estate work for you when you have your forever home, that home that you think you're going to be in forever. And this is a really good time to be thinking about that because interest rates are incredibly low right now on mortgages. Perfect. The other thing I also hear people talk about is if they are in their forever home now, but know that they want something a little bit different in retirement, for example, they want the home in Florida or in the Caribbean or wherever it may be. I do hear a lot of people say, well, I should be purchasing it now so that I don't have to pay the consequence of inflation. And I now have all this time to be working on that mortgage. Would you agree with that approach? Well, I think for the right client, that can work out well. So maybe they've got a vacation place now and they've got their primary residence and they're planning in retirement to sell the primary residence and live in the vacation place. Um, I think that can work well, but it can't be the only strategy. So I don't want to do that if clients don't have the extra funds to be investing in the stock market or other investments, because that needs to be a part of their portfolio. So yes, it's a tool for the right client, but we have to use it in balance of other things. Well, that's good to know, um, because admittedly, I always have the question in the back of my mind, how do you even know where you would want to retire? To answer that question for you know, 10, 20, 30, or 40 years down the road, that seems like a big ask. Well, it is a big question. And a lot of clients want to retire where their children and grandchildren move to. And you know, right now, your children are probably too young to even think about. You know, they're in junior high school, maybe. So who knows in 20 years where they're living and uh, where you would want to be in retirement? 
Well, good point, Catherine. There's a lot of <laughs> unknowns in that equation. What are some other thoughts on uh, planning for inflation? I see you talk about here the Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. Admittedly, I have no idea what that is. Yes. So we call those TIPS. You're right. It stands for Treasury Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. And this is one tool that certain investors may find helpful in this environment. It's an investment a security that's guaranteed by the U.S. Treasury. So anything guaranteed by the U.S. Treasury, obviously, is considered to be incredibly safe because there's such a very low risk of default. And the Treasury issues these tips with a variety of maturities. So they're basic, they work like a bond. In fact, they technically are a bond. So you may put $1,000 in a tip and they would guarantee that at the end of the maturity, you would get your $1,000 back and ongoing, you would get a certain interest rate. So in the good news department, these are easily bought and sold. They're very liquid, Uh, but the tips are actually indexed to inflation to protect the investors from an erosion in their purchasing power. And they use the consumer price index and it impacts what we call the par value of a tip. So a par value is that $1,000, let's say you invested it for, the par value is $1,000. So while the interest rate that you're getting on this remains fixed, the par value can impact or can go up due to inflation which means that you could sell your bond before maturity and make money to keep up with inflation. The net of this is if inflation unexpectedly rises, the purchasing power of any principal that's invested in tips could also increase. And this is something that's offered by the federal government, or this is something offered in the private markets and backed by the federal government? How would our colleagues access this? Well, they would access it through their stockbroker because you can you can buy them like you can buy any other securities. Now, it's important to know that they don't offer long-term growth opportunities like stocks do. So it's not going to be a stock market. So we do use these occasionally with clients. So they typically are for more conservative clients, and then we use them as part of the bond portion of their portfolio. I would not do these to replace the stocks, but we might use them for the bonds. Perfect. So it sounds like this is an additional tool, but you have to have the foundation of the stocks and bonds investments made first and foremost. Right. And we have to look at your risk. How much risk can you handle? For people who are very risk adverse, they might put more money into this and less into into stocks. Wonderful. Going back to the real estate, it did um, raise another question for me. Because interest rates are so low, is obtaining a home equity loan or a um, fixed line of credit something that can be protective in a market where we're looking at impending inflation? I like using home equity lines of credit. We call those HELOCs for short. Uh, right now, because the interest rates are so, so low. But very often that the banks will set those up so that they're variable rates. So be careful when you get those because uh if the if they're variable rate, the rate on that HELOC might actually go up. And that, of course, would, as you can say, feed into that whole inflation equ- equation and cost more down the road. That's helpful to know. I was just thinking if there was a way that you could, in the short term, take advantage of the favorable interest rates and have some cash on hand available to you, perhaps as an augment to your emergency fund, And that if inflation ran wild, you would have the benefit of having this cash value at a low interest rate 
right? As long as that interest rate stays low. So what I don't want to have happen is for somebody to borrow a lot of money, then the bank raises the rates and you don't have the funds to pay back the loan. That would be very counterproductive and very, very painful. Now, a minor thing that people can be considering, because when you consider inflation, we have to think about hard goods. And if you're thinking you need a car in the next couple of years, you're not sure, you know, maybe if you see some great deals on cars now with low interest rates and whatever, this might be the time to be thinking about something like a car, refrigerator, some hard goods. Perfect. And what about home improvements? I know that the supply chain has been disrupted due to COVID. And so we're finding that building supplies are significantly more expensive than they were just a year, a year and a half ago. Is this the time to make those purchases, thinking that inflation will impact that and make it more expensive? Or is this a time to maybe be a little bit patient and wait for any potential planned projects? Well, once again, it's going to so vary upon the client. And I don't want them to be putting money into these repair projects if they haven't funded their other goals, right? If they're really concerned about their kids going to college and the kids are going to be there in a couple years, uh, this may not be the time to be putting money into these repair projects. Um, but to your point, if we can get a, a second mortgage at a low interest rate to pay for these repair projects, this might be the time to do that. So the key thing that we talked about these mortgages is that fixed rate on a 30-year fixed rate right now, a lot of cases, it's less than 3%. It's some of the lowest I have ever, ever seen in my entire career. So the nice thing about that interest rate is, let's call it 3% or 2.75. If it's 2.75 this year, it's going to be 2.75 in 20 years, and it's going to be 2.75 on the last day that you pay it. 30 years from now, no matter what inflation is. So that's a great time, as I mentioned before, about getting your forever home and locking in that 30-year fixed rate or 15 years, whatever you want to do. Yes, I can say that I'm very excited about these low fixed interest rates and have definitely made sure that we've taken care of them on a personal note. That benefit, I don't think, can be uh, overstated enough. Right. So for people listening to us, if you haven't refinanced that house, you may want to think about it. Now, that, as we mentioned before, though, the home equity line of credits, those rates are low now, but they're more likely to, to fluctuate. So sometimes it might be better to get a second mortgage as opposed to a home equity line of credit because the second mortgage is more likely to have a fixed rate for a fixed period of time. So once again, these are the kinds of things I would hope your financial advisor could kind of help figure out what's best for you. Perfect. So it sounds like to protect yourself from inflation, the bottom line is make sure that you have your financial house well in order. Continue to invest in the stock market. You mentioned the alternate treasury inflation-protected securities perhaps can be a vehicle to help weather any inflation changes. And then most importantly, maybe the first action item should be to make sure that you, if you have a mortgage, that you have refinanced and have a low fixed rate. Am I summarizing that correctly, Catherine? During the late uh, 70s and early 80s, when inflation was absolutely crazy, I noticed that cr the interest on credit cards went up astronomically. I mean, I, you, you could almost see 24% interest on credit cards that a few years before had been maybe 8 or 10 or 12. By and large, those interest rates did not go down when inflation came down. So if you are carrying credit card debt today, that's something I would strongly encourage people to 
see if we can get out of credit card debt because very likely the interest on those credit card charges are going to be much higher than even high inflation. That's a, a great word to the wise for sure. Um, looking at what our current markets are, what's the timeline for when we might expect to see inflation start to set in if, if it ever does? Is this something that if people start researching a um, mortgage refinance now, they have a several months of a timeline to work on? Or is this something that you need to drop everything and get to work the very next day? Well, I've never seen inflation like completely go up in a day or down in a day. <laughs> and remember, it's, it's based upon a basket of goods and services, including home ownership and food, clothing, transportation, and other things. So it's more likely to be a more gradual in, increase. So I would put this on something on your to-do list. I'd probably be looking at it over the next few months, but you don't have to go out by the end of the week and get all this done. Perfect. Word of reassurance that if inflation hits, that you can protect yourself, but the markets will change and hopefully your buying power will be mostly protected. Is, is that fair to make that assumption? I think, uh, well, we're talking about doctors now. What I've seen with doctors is that very often that their salaries do not keep pace with inflation. So I think we're actually moving into a time that can be problematic for doctors who aren't careful with their money. And what I mean by that is I'm expecting taxes to go up significantly, and we're going to be doing a podcast in the near future about that. And if we have taxes going up during the same time that inflation's going up, doctors can be hit very, very in a difficult situation, which means that they really will not be able to save as much money as they have in the past because the cost of goods going up and they have to spend more for taxes. What does that mean? Doctors just need to be planning ahead and they need to be thinking, can we tighten the budget here? So we've got some extra money we can set aside now because we may not be able to save as much or invest as much in the, in the future. In closing here, Catherine, share with us your thoughts. Should we feel a lot of unease here? Do you think that physicians are going to be able to weather the storm? What do you think going forward over these next few years? Well, first of all, this is not something to worry about because we mentioned before, we should only be worrying about things that we can change. We can't, we can't change this. It's a normal part of economies, right? Inflation goes up and down. The stock market goes up and down. We need to make the best use of that, but which we can once we know how this works, because we can make inflation work for us, as I mentioned, by, by investing carefully during this time period. So don't be afraid. With that said, it, pay attention. This is a good, great time to go back and look at your finances. Is it time to refinance? Um, is, is it time to set more aside now while you can? so that you can take advantage of these opportunities going forward. All right. Well, we always appreciate that advice, and thank you for the education. Um, this is certainly unique financial times with yet another COVID stimulus package on the table. So <laughs> we seem to spend money uh, with an ever-increasing frequency, and hopefully we are doing our due diligence to keep our own personal financial wellness in order. And Catherine, thank you for helping us to do that. As always, a pleasure to be here. Okay.